0: Great stories from amazing people. Conversations from the Marsh at Podcast Alley. This is Sports and More with Dean Millard.
1: I think it was a desperate time, and I think desperate times do call for desperate measures, and I think everyone was expecting that, uh, Dry Saddle or McDavid to get together, or or to drop Nugent Hopkins to that dry side of line, or, or or do something, and and for whatever reason he didn't he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to go there, uh, and, and it ended up costing him. Like the owners did get a lot of chances, they did generate a lot of opportunities, and I thought in that third period they were carrying the play to the Blackhawks. I really did. I thought it was just only, only a matter of time before the owners score a goal here in the third period, and then the Blackhawks ended up getting a goal, and that kind of changed everything, and they got into a little bit of desperation mode, but. But I'm, I'm with you. I it was a little curious that he, he hesitated so long to pull the trigger on that because that's what you have. You have that luxury of being able to play the two best players in the league on the same line. Not, not a lot of other teams have that, and he just hesitated to do it. And you're looking back, and you got to wonder if he's, he's thinking, yeah, I probably should have done it going into that third period.
2: Hello there, and welcome to Sports & More. Episode number fifty four. That was Post Media's Derek Van deest who is our feature guest today. And on this show, almost anything goes. We try to stay away from politics, and we always stay away from religion, unless you're praying to the sports gods, which I don't think will exist anyway. But you're feel free to do that. Uh, but our show was mostly about sports and more. Uh, Derek Van deest was just talking about Dave Tippett and his coaching and. Yeah, well, there was a lot of people questioning what happened late in that series against Chicago. We're going to get into it. You can follow him on Twitter at Derek Van Deest. He writes uh, for the Edmonton Sun and the Edmonton Journal as well as NHL.com. And he is covering uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs, which uh, are on again. Uh, And it's uh, the actual seven-game series. So we're going to recap what happened in the draft lottery as congratulations to the New York Rangers and to the NHL, a superstar on Broadway is something that they were dearly hoping for and dearly hoping against a team, like the Edmonton Oilers or Pittsburgh Penguins to win that draft lottery, because it was a mockery that they were even involved in it. Anyway, uh, the Oilers follow, we'll discuss that a little bit more in detail with DVD about what went wrong uh, with the Oilers. Uh, You can read my article on the daily high five reasons. The Oilers lost the series. Uh, and a few of them we're going to talk about here with DVD but you can check that out at the Daily Hive uh, offside is their sports section and uh, I was doing some uh, Oilers writing for them fortunately the Oilers are out now but I will be doing some uh, writing on uh, the blog at podcastalley.ca and and maybe a few other places so you can uh, check all of that out and we will do a playoff preview uh all right uh, before we get going uh, I like to have a uh, weekly tribute and uh, that's just where we highlight uh, somebody doing something great
0: can you dig it can you dig it
2: (laughs) what i can dig is everyone doing their part to wear a mask right now in my area it is mandated uh, that masks uh, are to be worn Uh, and, and i'm not just saying about the people that are wearing the masks i'm saying the people that are wearing their masks and not bitching about it now, and I'm not talking to the people that are unable to wear a mask because I do know some people that, uh, due to some anxiety reasons, or some people have uh, severe skin irritation, uh, that they can't wear it. If, if, you know, I think that's fine. The people that are just walking by, cause they don't want to wear a mask, grabbing the button and going, come on, man. That's a, that's an absolute joke. Am I hot? Yeah, I'm hot. That's a crock of crap. Even Greta thinks it's a crock of crap. So if you can wear a mask, wear it and don't bitch about it. It's not forever. You don't have to wear it 24 hours a day. You're only wearing it where you're going into public places. So for those of you that are doing that and not bitching, the weekly tribute is for you. All right, let's get into our top three, which is presented by Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. I absolutely love this platform. Duckman's Domination is my team. We had our playoff draft last night. You know, in most fantasy hockey leagues, your league ends before the regular season even ends because you got to get in your playoffs. In this platform, you have a regular season, you have a regular season champion, and then you have a playoffs. And when, yeah, you have absolutely, uh, you have uh, the, the cool thing about going to the playoffs and being able to compete with your actual team that you drafted. Playoffs? Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. Yeah, we are talking about playoffs in fantasy hockey. So this is what happens. Last night, all the teams that are not in the playoffs but still have players. Let's, an example, Steven Stamkos. He was available because the fantasy team that owns him didn't make the playoffs. So we had a playoff draft. Playoffs? And we got all these players uh, sorted out. Nicholas Backstrom, one of the guys that I took. I took Marc-Andre Fleury because I think Vegas is going to make a a bit of a run. So that's the cool thing. And this is how it works. Uh, If I'm a team that didn't make the playoffs, but one of my players gets drafted and they win, I get a percentage of the winnings. This whole platform is cool. The scouting auction starts next Saturday. You still have a time to, to get in and register as a scout. And then you bid on players. And when those players get auctioned off to the teams, you get some money. There's so many cool things going on. Make sure you check it out because in this format you own the game. So get in the game at www.uffsports.com. So anyway, this is what our top three is today, going with top three Con Smythe trophy winning candidates. All right, all right, all right. So my top three contenders uh, for the Conn Smythe, my honorable mention, I'll go with Carey Price. That's my long shot. I think the Habs uh, have the, I think the Habs and the Canucks for some reason this year have opportunities to go on a bit of a run. Not sure they'll get to the uh, Stanley Cup final. I've got Vegas, Tampa Bay, in the Stanley Cup final. So my three candidates for the Conn Smythe Trophy are Steven Stamkos, Mark Stone, Braden Point. Stamkos, Stone, Point. Uh, I have Tampa winning, uh, so that's why I'm going heavy on that. So get more information about the Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports and our league, uh, the Ultimate Franchise Hockey League at www.uffsports.com. And if you love podcasts, make sure you check out podcastalley.ca. Another episode of Tracking the Draft with Craig Button coming out this Thursday. We will be talking about Alexi LaFrendi and how he fits in with the Rangers. Also, the Cannabis 101 podcast can be found there. Uh, If you are thinking about uh, using cannabis, it's an educational and entertaining way to learn about the plant that can be very beneficial for your health and your life. Uh, Check it out at podcastalley.ca. I also have a blog there. I've written a few articles, as mentioned, uh, for the Daily Hive and uh, a few other things. So check that out if you're into more Podcast. All right, let's get to Derek Van Deist after we find out a little bit more about DVD in the bio. Time for the bio. Derek Van Deist was born in Santiago, Chile and lived in the Chilean capital until he was seven years old. His family moved to Sarnia, Ontario, and after a quick stop in Toronto, they came west to Edmonton in the early 80s. After graduating from Holy Trinity High School in Mill Woods, he spent two years at the University of Alberta before taking the journalism course at McEwen University. Hired straight from school by the Medicine Hat News, it would be his home for seven years before taking a one-year contract with the Edmonton Journal in 2004. He joined the Edmonton Sun in 2005 and worked the Oilers beat in 2006 during the team's run to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. In his career, he's covered men's and women's World Cups, two Euro championships, a Stanley Cup with another one on the way, minus the fans. He also writes for NHL.com. DVD, it is great to have you back on the program again, of course, of uh, Post Media, also uh, writing at uh, the NHL.com. And the draft lottery uh, just happened uh, a little while ago from when we're having this conversation. Um, Part of me wanted the Oilers or Penguins or Leafs to get it just so the NHL realized that maybe they shouldn't have had some of those teams in this draft lottery. But in the end, I think the NHL has to be so relieved that a superstar is going to Broadway.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think they are. And that's the conspiracy theories begin now, you know, with the balls and, and oh, did, did you know was the ball was it loaded up properly yeah. or whatever? Patrick did Ewing, that, you know, you, yeah, exactly. You're harking back to Patrick Ewing, and they said, "Well, oh, that envelope was frozen, so that's what they knew what envelope they had to pick." And that was back in the day where you picked the envelope with the logo on it, and and uh, the conspiracy theory was that the the, the one was. If the Knicks logo was was frozen, so the the commissioner back then knew which one to pull. But I I think it is good. It is good for the league. I think the whole the fact that that these teams were had even had a chance at a number one overall pick was embarrassing. I think they saw that after that first draft, and and it was kind of oh my god, like, where we got ourselves into here. This is this could be catastrophic. Like if the owners had won again. It would have oh. been catastrophic for the league. Like, it would have been awful. It would have been. You know, it would have been. I, we would have laughed. We would have talked and said, "Hey, crazy!" And I said, coming here." But I think, I think it would have been catastrophic for the league. And and how many times does that have to change the draft lottery rules to, to try and make it fair and try to keep the orders from winning? But um, it's good that the Rangers won. I think it's going to be good. It's a lot of pressure on the kid. The bright lights of Broadway, they're going to expect a lot from him right away, especially a fan base that maybe isn't as aware of what he's accomplished or what he can do, or, or, or weren't as familiar with his junior career. Maybe we're up here in Canada. Um, here at Edmonton, we saw him play as a 14 year old in, in that, uh, uh, 14 or 15 year old in that Helenka uh, tournament mm. a couple of years ago. So we saw the talent that he was back then. So, uh, wow. But it'll be interesting to see how, how they do with it. They got some veterans there in New York that they can take him under his wing. So I think it worked out well in the end for the league. But yeah, it could have been really, really, they would have been doing some serious damage control had, had even the Penguins pulled that off. You, know, you look at the Penguins with with three generational players and, uh, you know, and then getting a guy like that on their team as well. So I think it worked out well at the end. um, And uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was the big concern, I guess, with this knockout round is that a pretty good team could get this player.
2: Yeah. It just seems so weird that, you know, like I, I think the, the NHL has to be so happy Their Their worst nightmare would have been Edmonton getting it because that would be five first overall picks. Number two, I think would be, pittsburgh i mean i think they would have preferred him to go to florida where nobody even watches the games over coming to edmonton again i mean i i think they were just so relieved for that so um, it, it, it's a good thing. And, and listen, he's not going to be able to wear number 11. Cause that's one, that one is retired, but they'll look to him to try to bring that franchise back to what Mark Messier did. And, and, and I think the Rangers, they've got a good spot where they can protect him a little bit. You know, uh, Ryan Strom and Panarin had really good chemistry when Zibanejad was injured last year. So this could be an opportunity where Lafrenia could start with Zibanejad.
1: Yeah, it could be, and I think that's a good thing, too. He doesn't have to come in here as an 18-year-old and share that entire franchise. I think that's what, what's important, and I think that's what, what the league wanted. He does have he does have some people that can kind of insulate him a little bit and, and help him out a little bit. Um, so I think that's a good thing for for him and the league. And it's, it's always tough, if you look at what Taylor Hall came in as an 18-year-old and yeah. he was expected to carry the load here. and look at some of those other 18-year-olds that are expected to carry the load and don't have a lot of help. So I think this will be good for him. I'm sure he's delighted. I'm sure his agent is delighted. And I think uh, all around it worked out for
2: everybody yeah the uh, first female agent uh, to represent a first overall pick will go down uh, in October so that's good news and and then you still got capo caco and you know the rangers all of a sudden you have to think wow the, you know if uh, if their goaltending um you know carries on it, we all think Henrik Lundqvist is 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 probably not going to be the starter anymore but if their goaltending can can come through you know they could do some damage immediately
1: yeah, it's it's not a long haul rebuild there, especially when you got a guy like Panarin there, you got you know you got some other those those other pieces there. It's it, it's not they're not five years away. There may be one two three years away. I think that's that's important as well. Is that uh, he's coming into a team that that is not bottomed out that it that has some pieces there that that's already well into their rebuild as opposed to starting from scratch, um, which we've seen here a couple of times. So I think that's that's big for him, and that's big for the league. And I think it's important for the league to have a strong franchise in New York. Oh, I think yeah. I think you need that market. You need that market to be competitive. You need that market to be strong. Um, you need you know you need that team to generate some excitement, especially in that city. So I think uh, this is this is a win-win for the National Hockey League right now to have the Rangers to win that uh, draft lottery.
2: Yeah, it's it's great to have the next budding star in the biggest market, but also a situation where. You know, he, you know, he, the Yankees are going to overshadow the giants, the jets, like all these teams, uh, even, you know, the Knicks, even though they stink, they get a lot of ink. Uh, but you know, he doesn't have to be hounded. Like he'll be able to walk down the street in New York, as opposed to here in Edmonton or, or something like that. So it's going to allow him to be on the biggest stage, but also protected a little bit because you know, the, you know, the rain, the NHL is obviously not the top dog in New York. Yeah, and that's
1: important, too, the ability to kind of walk down the street and, and not have people come up to you and want to take pictures with you or want autographs and, and things like that. And, and it's, it would have been tough in a Canadian market. It would have been really tough in a French-Canadian market. Um, it, you know, It would have been difficult for him to, to kind of just focus on hockey, I think, in, in Canada. So I think it's good that he goes to New York. A lot of players get lost in New York. You're allowed to walk around the streets and no one will bother you. No one knows who you are. So I think that's that's going to be really, really good for him. And he, like I said, he doesn't have to carry that load. He doesn't have to carry the load of an entire franchise. So it, it seems like a perfect fit for him right now to be able to go to New York and, and they don't have to rush him. They don't have to put him on their first line and expect him to score 20 goals next season in his rookie year, although he's probably quite capable of doing that. But there's no pressure on him as, as there would be in maybe some other spots to kind of carry that that load. So I think you're absolutely right. He can get lost. He can go down the street. He can go get groceries, and he's not going to be hounded as he would have been maybe up here in Canada.
2: Yeah, just don't get lost like Mironov and Kovalenko did for the couple of days when the Oilers were there, right? <laughs>
1: That's right. Don't, <laughs> don't miss the plane or, <laughs> or make Ooh. back to the team hotel there. Or- Whatever the story those guys had, one of them went looking for the other. I guess because yeah. he was going to miss the
2: plane. So Louis DeBrusque, so, yeah, was, do that. yeah, Louis Debrusque was on this show a little bit ago, and and he was t- saying how scary that was for for the Edmonton Oilers to not know where those guys were. Looking back, we can kind of chuckle at it, but he said, you know, for for you know for a little while, and that's you know pre-internet or anything Twitter like that. I think so. It was kind of uh, maybe not pre-internet, but I'm but I'm not sure. Uh, okay, speaking of strange. Um, you're watching games right now with no fans, although I love the NHL and Mark Lewis, I think, announcing thank you to the fans and panning to those four fans in the seats. I thought that was quite clever, but this has got to be strange to be able to hear everything that's going on at ice level from way up in the press box.
1: It it is eerie, and uh, that's the thing. Like, at first when we got there, it's it's really a little eerie, and and it's interesting because they have us kind of, on the top row below the press box. So we're not in the press box. We're on the upper concourse, uh, basically the top row. So that's where they kind of put us. And they've spread us all out. So they they got a lot of room there, but they they spread everybody out. So you're kind of in a section by yourself. You don't have a lot of people to talk to. And it's freezing cold in there. They've really turned down the temperature. So you have to bring a kind of a a jacket or a (laughs) parka even to go sit and watch the games. And then you can hear everything. You can hear absolutely everything that's said on the bench everything that players are saying to each other, you can hear everything. So that's the, the interesting part about the whole thing. And, and that's what kind of makes it eerie. And I think even players realize that because players will yap back and forth to each other and, and then no one will hear them. But now you're in a situation where whatever is said to a player is, is magnified and it kind of rings the arena. The arena. So I think that's what's, what's interesting about everything. And it, it is kind of eerie it's kind of strange and, but to be honest with you, by the end of the week, you almost got, got used to it. You almost mm. like, okay, I, you almost forgot that there wasn't a crowd there. You almost forgot that there wasn't a reaction. So it's kind of interesting. I think the players felt the same way as well. At first, they were really they thought it was really strange. But I think after a while, um, they kind of got used to it and don't even notice that there's any fans there.
2: Can you imagine being in Toronto the other day when Tortorella went off on Pierre Luc Dubois? Like yeah. you, you, you would have heard everything.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. You would have heard him screaming and yelling yeah. at him and. And that would have been, that would have been, and it was kind of a two-way conversation too. To yeah. The coaches were back at him. so that that kind of would have been really interesting. And it's kind of, it's it's, it's funny in a way because I, I know that first game, there were a couple of guys who were yelling at each other in the penalty box, which yeah. was kind of interesting, and so you could hear what they were saying, and um, so you could hear what they were saying, and then it was, um, it's just it's almost surreal at first, like you can't believe that there aren't any fans in the stands. Is, is the weirdest thing. It's like, where's everybody? But then I think after a while, and they've been experimenting with the fan noise. At first it was really kind of quiet, then mm-hmm. they turned it up a little bit. So they have been experimenting with it, trying to get it right. But yeah, I think like towards the end and now it's just, next round I'll start, I don't, I don't think the players will even
2: notice. Yeah, no doubt. Well, that next round will start without the Edmonton Oilers, one of the host teams uh, in the bubble. Actually, well, both host teams are out, as strange as that is. So, when we look at this Oilers series loss to Chicago, um, what what can you can you give me one reason the, the 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 main reason you think that the Oilers were unsuccessful? I
1: think the main reason is that they were unfamiliar with playoff intensity, and it took them too long to figure it out. And they were unfamiliar with. Um, I, I know they try to manufacture, but I think in the playoffs you have to bring that intensity. By state, but you have to keep within the bounds of the rules of the game. You can't take stupid penalties. And I think the Oilers got in trouble in the fact that, especially in Game Two, they tried to manufacture in Game Two and Game Three. Excuse me. They tried to manufacture the tension, but they did it the wrong way. They were hitting guys from behind. They were making some bad penalties. They were, they were taking some bad penalties. And I think that was the, the thing that really kind of brought the Oilers down is that they they weren't experienced enough to know. Where, where the line was and where you can draw the line and how you kind of create that intensity. And I think the Blackhawks, they weren't necessarily the better teams of the series, but they took advantage of those opportunities that they had. They, they didn't get a lot, but they took advantage of those opportunities. And, and you could see that experience in the Blackhawks, that those guys have been there before. They know what they're doing. And really, Chicago played uh, without... They played a loose game because they had nothing to lose. They weren't supposed to be there. Their season was supposed to be over a long time ago. So all the pressure was on the Oilers. And when a game got tight, you could sense that the Oilers got tight. And especially when in that game three in the third period, they are trying to hold on to that lead. They didn't play like a loose hockey club. They didn't play like the better hockey club. They're almost waiting for something to go wrong. And then something did go wrong and I think it's the same thing in game four I thought they played very well in the third period I thought they were going after the game and they were trying to chase it but then once the goal was scored then things got really and they got really nervous and then uh, the Blackhawks they're experienced veterans the guys that have won Stanley Cups and know what it takes to play at that level they just kind of rose up and, and took the game to that level so I just think it's the lack of playoff experience really hurt the Edmonton Oilers in this short series.
2: Yeah, and the, the the interesting thing with uh, um, the intensity thing is that it's not exactly like the Blackhawks were breathing fire either. I mean, the the Oilers. You're right. They tried to generate uh, and manufacture it, and it backfired. But the, it's like I did. I didn't find the Blackhawks. Um, like just going crazy and pushing and, and, you know, trying to create anything. It's almost like the Blackhawks were like, you know what, let's just let them, uh, shoot themselves in the, uh, in the foot, uh, almost, um, as far as goaltending, um, I didn't think that goaltending was an issue for the Edmonton Oilers after game one. I thought Miko Koskinen was good. I mean, there was, I think six deflections, some of them friendly fire. So that doesn't help. Um, Corey Crawford was, uh, one of the bigger stories because, you know, this guy seemed to get a paddle or a pad on uh, almost anything, especially late in that uh, clinching game. But what do you see as the future of uh, the Oilers' goaltending situation? And what did you think of the goaltending situation in this turn in this series?
1: Well, you're right. I, I too bad for Mike Smith because I I, I didn't have a problem, have a problem with in the first game. I always thought that was that that's what it was going to be. I thought, I always thought he was going to come in and, and be a starting guy. I think I felt bad for him. he made that I mean, he made that mistake on that first goal that made it kind of hurt the owners. And I think that was a situation where where the owners had a lot of momentum. They started off well, they got the first goal and then suddenly, you know, you're giving up you're giving up a goal. And I think that was that was kind of demoralizing. And I was really surprised that Dave Tippett kept Mike Smith as in as, as long as he had. especially that first period. I thought after the third goal, after they went down 3-1, I thought, okay, he's going to get him out of, even just to kind of change the way things are going, the direction this hockey team is going, because I thought that this team really needed to sort of change that momentum, and I was surprised he left the men for the 5-4-1 and then the 5-1 goal, and then you're basically giving up that, that game one, which is so important. So it would have been interesting to see, had you brought in Nico Crossman in that 3-1, had the Olders would have been able to come back in that game, that would have been kind of interesting to see and as far as Cosby goes, you're right, I don't think he played bad, but he didn't give him that big save that he needed. He, he, they needed him to make that save in Game 4 uh, out in front because it was one of the only opportunities the Blackhawks had in that period. Mm-hmm. And and you look at the other end of the ice, Crawford made about four or five oh. huge saves after the order were chasing that. I think he made, he made an unbelievable one on Lyon's ice side and he made a couple of other great ones. And I think that was the difference is, you don't need them. Sometimes you don't need your goalies to make a lot of saves, but you do need your goalies to make big saves for you. And I think Kost can be the first, to tell you that when he needed to make a big save, when he needed when he needed to, to kind of stop the momentum, he wasn't able to do it. And I know it was tough because there were some deflections, there were some things that didn't go his way. I didn't think the owners were particularly what good in front of their goal centers. I didn't think defensively they were strong enough on the puck or strong enough positionally. So I think that was an issue, but. Yeah, I think the Oilers needed a big save here or there, and things could have been a little different.
2: Well, yeah, their their defensive play in game one, they looked like chickens with their heads cut off running around in their own end. It was so terrible. And uh, the, the forwards, as the series went on, just gave up point shot after point shot. I mean, you don't have to get out and block the shot every time DVD, but you can at least force the defenseman who's taking the shot to have to change his angle or something, and they didn't do any of that, especially in game three.
1: Well, yeah, they didn't get in the lanes very well. And it's funny because not at all. So the guys had, they had a lot of lanes to look at, a lot of lanes to shoot at. And then in front of the net, they didn't really battle for positioning. Like you saw a lot of the Hawks were able to kind of just stand there and then have their way and try to tip those pucks. It was almost like process. But you have to battle and and get in on those positions and and win that spot. And and I don't think the owners do that. And I I think that goes against the the battle level. I think you just, the the battle number one had playoff intensity, um, just because I think a lot of guys don't don't recognize playoff intensity and you can only get playoff experience by playing playoff games and, and a lot of that was how you played playoff games and I think that was uh that was missing and and they really didn't have those veterans, uh particularly on the blue line, they to say, Okay guys, I'll steady the ship here. I know I know right I I know the situation. I know what we have to do and and they didn't have it. And that's why they got my green and unfortunately Mike Green. Uh, you know, he decided not to take part in the tournament.
2: Yeah, that was, it was unfortunate. And then they lose Adam Larson uh, for, for as long as they did, didn't help out without a veteran presence. A lot of people made uh, a lot out of Dave Tibbetts lack of urgency when it came to the lines. And uh, first of all, I think Dave Tibbetts is a good coach and the right coach for the Oilers, but Sometimes I think, uh, coaches do make mistakes just like everybody else. And for me, the biggest mistake he made, um, was not going right back to Yamamoto, dry and Nuge, because scoring wasn't a problem in the first three games, they were, they were averaging over four goals a game. You should be able to win in the playoffs and in, in that or close to four goals. I think it was in this, in that situation, but in game four, particularly he had an opportunity to, to, to put that line back together without Ennis. And I, I don't ever understand why he never did go strictly with McDavid and Drysidle. Like why did those guys never get put on a line with 10 minutes to go in the third period? Those would be the the concerns I had over the, the moves or lack thereof by Tippett.
1: Yeah, I was kind of surprised with that as well. And I, I thought they would go with that in the third period. And I was really surprised that, that he didn't, and, and, he, and he hesitated so long to kind of Makes up the lines, and you're right. In the first three games, offense wasn't really a problem. They they were getting some offense. It was just, uh, you know, the fact that they gave up some some timely goals and some, and they had some bad breaks. And they spent most of the game three in the penalty box. I think that doesn't help you either to try and you know, yeah. get your line combinations. But you're right. I think it was a desperate time, and I think desperate times do call for desperate measures. And I think everyone was expecting that Drysdale or McDavid to get together or. Or to drop Nugent Hopkins to that dry side of line, or or, or do something, and, and and for whatever reason he didn't he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to go there, uh, and, and it ended up costing him. Like the Oilers did get a lot of chances, they did generate mm-hmm. a lot of opportunities, and I thought in that third period they were carrying the play to the Blackhawks. I really did. I thought it was just only, only a matter of time before the Oilers scored a goal here in the third period, and then the Blackhawks ended up getting a goal, and that kind of changed everything, and they got into a little bit of desperation mode, but. But I'm, I'm with you. I it was a little curious that he, he hesitated so long to pull the trigger on that because that's what you have. You have that luxury of being able to play the two best players in the league on the same line. Not, not a lot of other teams have that, and he just hesitated to do it. And you're looking back, and you got to wonder if he's, he's thinking, yeah, I probably should have done it going to that third period.
2: Yeah, that that's to me, you know what that is in case of emergency, break glass, put these two guys together and win the game. You know, I'm, I'm not saying they ultimately would have won the game, but, you know, you have the two best players, uh, you know, when when the, the Penguins need it, you, you see Malkin and Crosby out there a lot together. So you put your best players together in that short stint. And and he even admitted because he he kind of bristled at the question about uh, that he was asked when he said, you know, we had the best line in the league when we had McDavid, Dreisaitl and, and Cassian and we broke them up and we're a better team, which is fine. But there's not a better combination in the league than those two guys. I think they, des- you know, they should have been together in the last 10 minutes. I'm not trying to say Dave Tippett doesn't know what he's doing, but. I, I don't know, I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't there to be able to ask and, and I know it's uh, difficult and he didn't want to a- answer those questions so, you know, I think when he looks back on it, he, he might be like, man, maybe we should have had those guys together.
1: <laughs> well, you, you look at that, but then you, know, then you know, just to play devil's advocate, look at what the Leafs did the other night they loaded up that top line yeah and then that top line would generate chance after chance after chance after chance and then they had no one else to kind of keep that momentum going and they would lose all that momentum when you hit the other three lines maybe you know maybe tippet mm-hmm. thought that might happen with if he loaded up that top line uh and then the orders would lose momentum and he'd rather have one or two lines kind of going and trying to keep that momentum as opposed to just one line yeah. we saw the reverse of that in Toronto it's it, it, like that that line was dominant for the entire game they didn't score a goal but then once they got off it, it was it was kind of like a pendulum went and all of a sudden it was Columbus was all over the league so uh, you, you know, you, it's half a one, you know, six of one, half a dozen or the other yep. type is You look at that both ways and, and we saw how both of those ways played out.
2: So what happens moving forward? I mean, there are some people on social media saying the Oilers need to blow things up um, and I think that's just ridiculous. <laughs> like the, I don't think you should make any rash judgments based on a COVID-19 play in tournament season. Like this is bizarre stuff happening and, and you just kind of ride this out and, and move forward, but you know, they do have some uh, decisions to make. And you know, we talked about Koskinen earlier. He's got uh, two more years uh, left on, uh, his deal. Um, you know, they have to make, uh, the uh, Ethan bears an RFA, you know, they're going to get that done. And, and, and I think Matt Benning, I have really been impressed with, uh, with what Matt Benning has, uh, be, been able to do, but you know, is there, is there moves that this team needs to make next year? Did you see enough from Athena to want him back on, as, as an RFA? What do you think moving forward? This team can do and should do in the offseason?
1: Well, that, that this year is going to be an interesting question because this is a guy that everyone they brought in, they, they, you know, they gave up a pretty high draft pick to get him. So, you know, you'd hate to give up a high draft pick to get him to have him play whatever it was. He ended up playing 10 games for the team or whatever it was. So I think they, they're going to have to try and at least qualify him and try and get him back in the fold in here. I think this is a guy with potential, but you look at, you look at he scored 30 goals in the league and, and not a lot of people do that. But you look at how he did it, and I think he still needs a lot of work in his game. He's got—he's lightning fast. He's got great wheels, uh, but he doesn't have great hands, and I think that's always a problem when you, when your hands don't catch up to your feet. And he doesn't have great hockey sense either. At least from what I saw, is that he struggles as where as opposed to where he's supposed to be on the ice. It doesn't come naturally to him. Sometimes players really have to kind of overthink and say, "Okay, I should be here. I should be here." Where other guys kind of just go—you know—go through the motions and they're there. They're always always in the right spots. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them. But I, I agree with you. You don't need to blow this team up. And you can't afford to because you, you're really kind of up against the cap. There's not a much not, a, not much you can do. Cassian uh, didn't have a very good playoff, but this is a guy that they've committed to. So, so basically, you have to kind of reinforce your depth. And I think it's depth that gets you through in the playoffs. It's those young depth guys. And a lot of people talk about teams that have success in the playoffs. Those top two lines cancel each other out, and it's the third and fourth lines. Whoever has the best third and fourth lines are going to go further in the playoffs, and I think there's a lot of talk to that, and there's a lot to be said about that. So, you always have to reinforce those third and fourth lines, and you look at what's coming down the pipe, and you look at what's in the system, do they have some forwards to kind of fit in and slide into those spots? I think they have a really good crop of defensemen coming up, but do they have those forwards? And if they don't have those forwards, they're going to have to try and get, get, them, get, some, get them from somewhere else, and I think that's going to be the issue right now for the edmonton Oilers, is, is
2: to be able to to get those guys you know they're carrying next year uh almost uh just over four and a half million dollars in basically dead cap space that drops down to 2.2 after that so this is kind of the last year that they have to carry some of that like you know benoit pouliot's contract and uh, andre secura's contract Uh, So I think they're going to have about $10 million in cap space. And and I think, you know, they have the foundation of the two pairs up front, right? You got, uh, you know, whatever combination you want. If you want to work work, uh, Nugent Hopkins and McDavid and Dryside Land Yamamoto, you have those pairs. And then, like you said, you're filling out other options. Where does Jesse Pugliarvi fit in this? Is he a guy that can come in as a physical body and try to win a spot on one of those two lines? Or is he a guy that, you know, maybe they try to turn into draft picks in, um, I guess, October at the draft?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And and is Jesse Pugliarvi ready to come back and play in the NHL? Is is he still going to be a a project? And I think that's something that the orders have to look at is is, is Pugliarvi is – exceptional talent. He's, got, he's big, he's strong, he's fast, got a good shot, but as we saw, that he really lacks hockey sense and he doesn't know where he's supposed to be on the ice in certain situations. And I know he tries really hard and he wants to be an effective player, but I think that's where he struggles. So the owners look at this player that, okay, suddenly wants to come back. They're not going to get much for him. I, I honestly don't think they're going to get much for him in a sense of, of draft takes or, or, a, or a decent return on a player. So you take on this project remembering how frustrated it was before. And, 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 and Pugliari, I don't know if he's willing to go spend a year at the American Hockey League or wherever he has to kind of develop that. And sometimes you just don't develop that hockey sense. You don't develop that that ability to to know where to go, and it just becomes second nature. And I think that's probably the issue with Jesse Pugliari. It's good that he's willing to come back and, and that door is open again, and, and he left and he said, I'm never playing for the Oilers again. And now he's saying, well, no, maybe I've matured a little bit. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll come back and do that. But I think the biggest thing for Pooley, Arby, is the game wasn't fun anymore when he was in Edmonton. And I think he went back to Finland and the game was fun anymore and he was having a good time. So to him, he just wants to play hockey and have fun and have a good time. And I think somehow the owners have to find a way to make the game fun for him again. And, and sometimes that's not inundating a guy with X's and O's. That's kind of helping him out, helping him get the game fun, helping him have some success and, and, and seeing where that goes. But It'll be interesting to see where he fits in the mix or if they can kind of flip him for something that maybe another team's project can come in here. And then sometimes that happens when, when you have a high pick that doesn't work out, you trade for another team's high pick that didn't work out. Mm-hmm.
2: As for that blue line you talked about, uh, you know they're going to get something done with Ethan Baer because I think he took uh, you know big strides this year. I thought Caleb Jones looked uh, pretty good filling in as well. Uh, and then you have guys like Broberg and Bouchard who might be pushing uh, to make this team whenever they get going in December. And not saying that both of them are going to be on this roster, but maybe one of them. Does that mean one of these $4 million contracts of Clefbaum, Larson, or Chris Russell... Uh, should be needs to be moved out. I mean, if you're if you're just looking at moving out a contract and it's Chris Russell, you don't maybe worry about you know the return as much. You're just trying to free up cap space. But I think you'd like to get some return if you were entertaining Clef Balm or Larson. Or do, can you can you go into next year with all those guys because you got Darnell Nurse starting his 5.6 million next year.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I don't think so. I think you do have to move that out, and I think Chris Russell is the guy that you have to move out. And I think, if anything, the orders are kind of excited about Boebert. Like what they saw in camp here, what they saw a the little bit they did see. And, and he, was, he was going to get back to Sweden and play in Sweden. So I think he's still a year away. But I think they really liked... they. I think he's further along than they thought he would be. Now, Bouchard is a different story. I don't know how far along Bouchard is. And I think they were hoping he'd be a bit more developed than he is right now. So he'll probably spend another year in the American Hockey League. But... When you move out NHL defenseman like a guy like Chris Russell, you move out a guy like that that can that log a lot of minutes, blocks a lot of shots, you know, Chris Chris Russell's a warrior for you. You gotta fill that hole somehow. And you have someone younger that can fill that hole and someone cheaper that can fill that hole. And I think that's what the owners have to kind of look and evaluate and say, Okay, can we fill the hole that he leaves? That that grit, that toughness, that shot blocking ability, that, that veteran presence, that leadership. Do we have someone that can fill that gap? And I think that's that's what the owners have to do because the last thing you want to do is start moving people out because you got a clear cap space, but then you have no one to fill that, that that spot. And now all of a sudden you have a hole that you want to fill. And sometimes you end up paying more for that hole that you filled than, than you did when you let go of that player. So I think it's a, it's a tricky, tricky situation to navigate. Um, and I know that the owners will have some decisions to make and, and they don't have a lot of wiggle room. But yeah, I think you're right. I, I don't think you can have all those guys back there next year. I think, you do have to move some parts. And I'd hate to I hate to be to have it be a, a cleft bomb or or someone like that because those guys are, are I think to me integral parts of your hockey team.
2: Well i I'll throw a name at you then. He's twenty four years old. He made seven hundred and forty thousand dollars last year. He's a restricted free agent. William Lagesson. He's also Swedish, which fits in with the rest of their blue liners. But you know, I've seen this guy play a really, really tough game. I'm not sure he's going to be the shot blocker that uh, that Chris Russell has uh, become. But I, I definitely know that this guy can be really tough on uh, opposing players if he needs be. He's young. He, he fits the bill with a with a contract. Not sure if you've seen much of William Lagesson, but your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, no, that that would make sense, I and mean, then if he is a, a gritty Swede, and it's funny because growing up, you wouldn't think of Swedes as gritty, but that's not true. They, they come they're tough as they nails, some mm. of them. They come as hard as as you can. So if he can fill that gap, but to me personally, I always think that your are you know four, five, six, seven guys have to be cheaper guys. You can't have a bunch of four million dollar players playing in those five and six bucks. That's just my thing. Like you're not going to be successful that way. Like you, you're going to. You'll have to pay your number one guy, you have to pay number two guy, three and four. But then I think down download you have to bring in some younger guys that can fill those roles. And I think Laguson is a guy that probably could come in if he comes in and has a strong camp, and the and the owners look at him and go, okay, yeah, he can he can he can fill in that role. He's, he, he's kind of a cheaper player, and he can he can get the job done. I think he'll get an opportunity. kind of like Bear. People didn't expect Bear to be to be where he is they, they thought he'd have to have another year of feeding in the American Hockey League they, they knew he was talented but the jump he made was a huge uh, asset for the owners because he didn't make a lot of money and he and towards the end he ended up playing a lot of minutes so he you know he was well worth it, the value that he was they were getting so I think they need more players like that to kind of come up and, and fill those bottom roles and give you some flexibility with some of those guys that are making a, a bit more money.
2: All right, let's move on to the teams now that are uh, actually uh, playing uh, for the Stanley Cup. And let's start with the team that the Oilers lost to, the Chicago Blackhawks, taking on the uh, Golden Knights, who went 3-0. and And I was really actually pleasantly surprised by the intensity of uh, some of those games in the round robin. I wasn't sure how they would be, but Vegas will be uh, the top seed, and they'll take on Chicago. Do you see Chicago producing another upset?
1: No, I don't, because I just think that um, it would, they, they mean so much on Caves and, and Crawford and Keith and, and some of those older veterans that it, it's one thing to do it in a, in a best-of-five series when, when they can bring it for three games. Uh, I, I think it's another thing to do it with a best-of-seven. I think it, and, and, and Vegas has the guys that, that can really lean on these guys. And I think that's something that the Oilers didn't do. They didn't make life tough. For, for Keith. They didn't dump a lot of pucks in his in his zone. They didn't dump a lot of pucks in his in his corner. They didn't bang him up. He, he You know, just that 37-year-old defenseman logging 25, <laughs> 26, 27 minutes a night. And I don't think he was touched in that series. I don't I don't think and I think Vegas is not going to make that mistake. They're going to dump that puck in his corner and they're going to make him pay to go back and retrieve the puck. And I think it's just their biggest, you talk about playoff savvy, playoff experience team. They have a lot of playoff savvy, a lot of playoff experience. And they know that yeah, as well as some of those rookies played for Chicago in that best of five, that team is still driven by some of those older veteran players, and they're going to lean on those guys hard, and they're going to make life hard for those guys, so I, I can't see another upset. I, I don't see that series going more than six games, to be honest with you. I think the Blackhawks did well just to get into the playoffs, and I think those guys, you can tell that they're winners, and, and they want to win, and they don't care what their situation is. They they want to win every hockey game they play in, but Um, sometimes time just catches up to you and I think that's the situation with Chicago is that time has caught up to some of those guys.
2: The Avalanche will take on the Coyotes. The only game the Avalanche lost in the uh, round robin was against Vegas and it was in overtime. Um, The Coyotes you know, they get into the playoffs and unfortunately they can't build any momentum in Arizona on it because they're not playing there. So it's just such a, a strange situation, but we will see, uh, you know, Taylor Hall, uh, uh in the playoffs again, Darcy Kemper, uh, played uh, pretty well for, uh, the Coyotes and, and Phil Kessel is there, but is it like, kind of like the Blackhawks? It's just too big of a mountain, pardon the pun with the avalanche. Yeah, it's, it's
1: interesting. Cause I covered that Coyotes, uh, uh, Predators' theory pretty tightly. I was at every 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 game of that series. And to be honest, the Coyotes are lucky to win that series. They were outplayed pretty badly in most mm-hmm. of those games. They're outshot pretty badly, and I think all of the games. Um, they they got great goaltending from Kemper. Kemper was outstanding, and I think uh, I think that was the, the one thing with the Coyotes that there are those. I think in game three and four, they probably should have been over after the first period. But Kemper just kind of stood on his head, kept his team in the game. Cody's got some timely goals. They do have some guys that could score. They do have some offensive talents. And of course, they have all oh, raffin Larson at the blue line that logs just a ton, a ton of minutes. And he's such a good defenseman. But I just don't think there's a, there's enough there. I, I don't think you can get constantly, continually outplayed like they did in that first round and win a playoff series. I think it, it's just tough to do it that way. You can't get outshot every game as badly as they got outshot against the Predators. I thought the Predators. They just didn't bear down enough with their chances. And, and uh, I really think that they may have underestimated the Coyotes a little bit. But the Coyotes, kinda, I would say they stole two of those three games. So I think that's going to be tough to do in the next round because I, I think they're happy to be here. They're happy to be in the playoffs. It's too bad that they don't get playoffs at home, you're right. Uh, but I honestly, I don't think this was really a playoff team. And I, I don't think there's enough weapons on that team to kind of do some damage in the postseason.
2: Uh, okay so the the kind of the interesting matchup for me is this Stars Flames matchup. You know Calgary takes out an injury depleted Winnipeg team who you know with their, their, just looking at the start of the year the right side of their blue line got decimated by Bufflin leaving and True but the it just was crazy. They lost Myers so they they had to battle just to get there and then of course you lose Shifley and Line. It's not surprising that the uh, Flames won that series. Dallas you know, Dallas came very close, like one win away from being where the Oilers were and the Oilers being in the top five, and they didn't look very good. Uh, I think they scored four goals. Um, you know, uh, their, their big guns didn't do anything. What do you make of the Dallas Stars and the Calgary Flames who, um, you know, both teams, I, I, you know, they don't think they had to be at their best or were at their best, even though the Flames won that series.
1: Well, it's interesting because the starters, I think, were on a six-game slide when uh, when play was stopped. And, and had they played another game and, and lost another game, you're right, by percentage points, the owners would have leapfrogged and got into that spot mm-hmm. ahead of Dallas. And, and um, this is a team, it's kind of, it's funny, if you look at this team and it's, you think it's a team in transition, they have some older guys, they have, they have some younger guys, but they don't really fit well together for some reason. And, and you look at some of that roster and you're like, Ooh. okay, well, you know, I can see and this guy was a really good player five years ago. This yeah. guy was a really good player five years ago. This guy's going to be a really good player in five years, but it just doesn't seem to, to, to gel in the mold there. And I really do like how Calgary kind of came together in that playoff. And yeah, they did get they did get a break when when Shikley went down and then liney went down. That that that's a huge break when you, when the team loses their top two players in a short series like that. But I did like the grit that Calgary showed. I did I did think they were getting good contributions from their from the, the bottom end of that lineup. Uh, I do think that they did a lot of good things. So I, I think Calgary learned a lot of lessons from their from their exit last year. And I, and I think that's, that's, that's the thing that's key is some of those young guys, they did have that playoff experience last year. They kind of had their eyes open and they like, well, okay, this is what you have to do in playoffs. This is how we have to play. And they're a lot hungrier this year than they were last year. And I think uh, they're a bit more playoff savvy. So I, I really do like Calgary in this series. I, I do think that they, the Flames can... Can upset the the stars here, and and nothing about the stars has really impressed me. Um, leading back to to last year when, when they were almost they were, they were falling uh, quickly, and 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 it was a situation where they kind of got lucky that the break happened when it did, because if it happened a week later. They would have had to be in a play in series.
2: One loss away from us getting a Battle of Alberta in this situation. Man, it would have been uh, so good. Um, the Canucks and the Blues, you got the Stanley Cup champions who did also uh, weren't great in the uh, round robin matchup. I don't think they won a game, actually. Uh, and then the Canucks, who I got a, I got a, a feeling about this Canucks team. I like them. They seem to be exciting. I like watching them play. Uh, they seem to be exciting, and, and I, I just have a feeling that maybe the Canucks might be able to go on a bit of a run here. I don't know how far, but I think they can win this round.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting because I think the Canucks are playing without money. I, I really do. I think there's not a lot of people expected them to be where they are. I think they're a very well-coached team. They got some young stars on that team, and they got some some veterans that have, that have been around. And, and I think right now there's no pressure on Vancouver. And I think that's how I saw that first round. There's no pressure. They went out there, we're just going to play, we're going to play hard and, and see what happens. And, and I think they, they, they drew a pretty pretty good draw in the play with a with kind of a nondescript team in Minnesota. Like Minnesota's always kind of been the, the blah team of the NHL, I think. They've never been too good. They've never been too bad. They've kind of always been there type thing. And, and I think the Canucks, played really with nothing to lose they went out there and it'll be interesting to see if, if they have enough to, to to pull off an upset because uh i think that's the biggest thing that they going for them. every game of experience for those young that young defense and those young forwards is, is a huge thing for them to, to be able to get this because i i think they're, they're two years ahead of where people expected them to be and right now they're playing with house money and they're enjoying every minute of it
2: all right, let's go to the East, Flyers, Habs. I know there's more to it, but I love just the simplicity of Carey Price, Carter Hart, you know, the guy who is, um, you know, said to have that mantle as the best goalie in Canada, if not the world, uh, for quite a while. And then Carter Hart, a guy from our neck of the woods who's on his way up. I love this matchup.
1: Yeah, it's a great matchup. And, and it's funny, the Flyers, weren't the Flyers supposed to be rebuilding a couple of years ago, and suddenly now they're the top, you know, like, it. it it's amazing how quickly they change things around there. And, and I, I remember that I thought they were going to bottom out and they, and they were able to make a couple of moves in there and they're back. But Carter Hart is, is a great story because how long in Philadelphia are they been looking for our, our legit number one? And it's been, yeah, pretty much. Right. And they've gone through a lot of guys and now comes this kid from, you know, from around here and he's really kind of taken a mantle and now he's kind of solved their goal-tending issues, you know, Which I think is, is a fantastic story. Uh, for guys like that, so the Flyers, to me, are a fantastic story. They're suddenly the number one seed. Uh, when like, I remember, like, even going into this year, I thought it was going to be a rebuilding season, and so to be where they are right now is, is really impressive. So I really like the Flyers, and I think they can really do some damage and go far in this playoff.
2: I really like the way Jeff Petrie is playing, and, and I know that still hurts for Oilers fans because you know the Oilers just gave this guy for for, for not, and you know they they. It was a, a later, or like a mid-round pick or second-round pick. I mean, the what he's doing with the Montreal Canadiens, he's looking unbelievable. Him and Shea Weber.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think Weber has a lot to do with that. I think Weber really kind of took Jeff Petrie under his wing, and you know, helped him get to that next level. Petrie was always a decent defenseman, I thought, in Edmonton, but he was always playing a spot above where he should be. Mm-hmm. And I think when he got to Montreal, he was playing in his proper spot. And then, and I think he really that really helped him develop in terms of the matches he was getting and the matchups and things like that. And now he was able to take his game to the next level. And it'll be interesting to see uh, what the Canadians have. To be honest, I thought the Canadians—I don't want to say they got lucky drawing the Penguins, but the Penguins came in half their team had COVID a couple of weeks earlier. So who knows how much energy the Penguins had in that tank? And the Canadians aren't a very good hockey team. They weren't a very good hockey team all year. And they have the one of the best goalies in the world, but I think apart from that, there's not much there. So it'll be interesting to see how much they have left for this round, because you know they they won, they didn't score a lot. They don't score a lot, and so your goaltender has to basically shut out the opposition for you to win. And I think going up against Flyers, it's going to be tough
2: to do. Bolts and Blue Jackets rematch from last year, where the Bolts got swept. What do you see happening this year?
1: I don't think they're going to get swept this year. I honestly <laughs> think they're going to they've learned from that, that they're not going to underestimate this team uh, and they're going to it's going to be a little different team than, than they, they were last year I think last year they really panicked when they lost those first two games and, and they were never able to recover from that they needed kind of a, a calming influence they didn't have that but I think they've learned from that and I think they're going to be they're, they're itching for this matchup they're hoping that it was Columbus and not Toronto that they got to play because I think they they have something to prove and and they're going to go into this series with a chip on their shoulder. So, I think Columbus is there's another team that you know they don't have a lot of stars on their team. They have a couple, some good young players coming up. They have a pretty good coach in Tortorella, but I, I honestly don't think Columbus gets past past them because I just I just don't think that this time around. They'll catch them by surprise maybe like they did a year
2: ago. Uh, Caps and Islanders, we can't get an Easter epic, maybe an August epic uh, between these two teams in the playoffs. But is this uh, like uh, you know how we talked about the Hawks and the Coyotes, uh, the Islanders are just going to come up against a too tough of a team, or do you think they have a chance to, to pull off the upset?
1: No, I think it's just too tough of a team. I think Washington is, is, is still a championship-caliber team. They still have Ovechkin, who's scoring at well. They, just, they still have too many weapons on that roster, and this is a team that, you know, they're not far removed from a Stanley Cup championship. So they still have a lot of those pieces in place, a lot of that pedigree. And and I think the Capitals are really, really playing confident hockey right now. And I think this is a team that, that can go far. And, and I don't see them being troubled in this series at all, to be honest with you. Know, I just think that they're playing that well, they're that good. And, um, you know, it's just a situation where I think they're, they'll steamroll it through this round. And then it'll be pretty interesting in the next round. And, Yeah, they're happy to be there, I think. I think they're just another team that's kind of on the cusp of making the playoffs. They were kind of close, and and they have some good young pieces as well. But I think they're still a few years away from being to the level that the Washington Capitals are.
2: I think the Bruins and Hurricanes could be a really fun series to watch. Uh, Carolina got really healthy uh, during uh, COVID and got some guys back uh, that they weren't expecting. Uh, You know, the Bruins are really good. But I'm not saying Carolina can win this series, but I think it could be a fun one to watch.
1: Oh, I think so. And I, I like Carolina. They, they are they're a fun, exciting team. They got some good talent. They, they score a lot of goals. And, and this is a team to watch. And I think, uh, you know, the Bruins were the best team in the, in the league this year. And I think Barnum uh, hitting it before the, the COVID pause. so they were by far the best team in the league. And they've still got a lot of weapons. But I think they're not going to underestimate this Carolina team. Because this Carolina team is fun to watch. They get up and down the ice. They have guys that can that can skate. They have a lot of skill on their team. They play an exciting brand of hockey, and 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 then you know they're pretty much everybody's second favorite team after adopting uh, all those rituals last year uh, on the you know, post game ritual. So I think this is a team that they really have to watch out for. And if the Bruins are going to really struggle, it's going to be with these guys and trying to put these guys to bed before they move on to the next round. Because I still think the Bruins are probably the best team in the East but this is a really, really tough matchup in the first round.
2: All right, let's end with this. Uh, you're going to get to cover another Stanley Cup final uh, because it's going to be uh, in Edmonton. So who are the two teams that will be left standing, who wins, and who's your Conn Smythe winner?
1: Um, I think the two teams that will be left standing will be Colorado Avalanche and the Boston Bruins. I, I really do think those are the two best teams that will come out of the West and the East and i think nathan mckinnon is going to be the cause by trophy winner he's just he just has another gear and and last year we saw it in that flame series and he kind of came into his own and and really developed into a star and i think you're going to see it in this playoffs. you're going to take it even to another level and i really like this avalanche team I, i i've seen them and they don't have a lot of weaknesses so it's going to be tough to get out of the west uh but i do like colorado and when push comes to shove, I still think Boston is the best team in the East, and I still think they have the deepest lineup, and I think they have they have it all. They have goaltending, they have a deep lineup, they have good defense, and, they, and they're very well coached. So I think uh, it's no, no no fluke that they got to the final last year, and I think they're another team that uh, that has a bit of a chip on their shoulder going into this playoffs, knowing that they they fell a little short last year.
2: So who takes it, Boston or Colorado? Uh, I like Boston in seven. All right, DVD, enjoy it. It uh, should be a wild ride. Thanks so much for spending some time with me on the program today, and stay safe.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me on, D. The river is low <laughs> Joining me down
0: here And the sun beats my soul And there's no shelter around this is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. A piece of wood floats by. Does that she loves mean me. she says goodbye? So Hi. Just because the level is low, doesn't mean she, she has loves to man. just loves up and go home. So I'm so high and the river is low.
2: That was such a great conversation with Derek Van Deest. I, I've always uh, cherished the time that I uh, spent with him uh, covering different things because uh, he's passionate and he's opinionated but he's not a jerk about it. And he can listen, uh, to your side, as long as, you know, your side, isn't uh, racist or homophobic or anything like that. He will give the time, uh, to people to, to discuss things. And I love that we covered, a um, our Royal bank cup, I believe it was in Prince George, junior, a, uh, AJHL and BCHL. Uh, when uh, I think camera, yeah, it was and They lost to Prince George on, on like Mother's Day in like quadruple overtime. But we had a good time because I enjoyed working with him and you know being around him. So good dude, man. Check him out on Twitter at Derek Van deest and follow what he writes on uh, Edmonton Sign, Edmonton Journal, as well as uh, NHL.com. And big thanks to Sweet But Jesus. That was River Is Low. Uh, From their debut album, Policeman's Creek, you can find it on Apple Music. They are the official music of Sports and More, the podcast. Christian Gutzis, Kevin Dabbs are the duo that make up sweet bejesus. As mentioned, their debut album, Policeman's Creek, is available on Apple Music. All right, now time to get into our uh, ultimate franchise fantasy sports poll question of the day.
0: This is a serious message, peace and love, peace and love.
2: And I asked this question with peace and love. Will Alexi Lafreniere put up 90 points or more next year in his rookie season? It's a poll question on Twitter, and I'm I'm really surprised that uh, the amount of people that say, no, this guy says he's going to get 60 points. Um, that's incredibly low for an incredibly skilled player. Now, maybe I'm overestimating him. Uh, 96% say no of, uh, just about 200 votes today. So you can have your say at doc Millard. Here's why I think he can't. I look at Matthew Barzell and his rookie season from a few years back. He had 85 points. Matthew Barzell was 20. Alexei Lafreniere turns 19 in October. The season doesn't start until December. Connor McDavid's point per game would have prorated to just over, uh, like, I don't know, 85, 86 points. I'm not saying Lafreniere is better, but what I am saying is Lafreniere is going to have a better supporting cast than Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid did not have a guy coming off a Hart Trophy nomination as a possible linemate. At least, the very least, a teammate. The Rangers have a much better supporting cast than the Oilers did in 2015 when Connor McDavid was there. Go look at the rosters. And they have a budding talent that the Oilers had too. Like, what the Oilers had was potential. Hall, Nugent Hopkins, uh, et cetera, et cetera. These young first overall picks. And then you bring in McDavid, a high pick. What they had was potential. They didn't have the supporting talent already. The Rangers have both. You look at a guy like Capo Caco. Now you look at a guy like Lafreniere coming in. And then you look at Zibanejad. You look at Panarin. Um, you know, the not, not sure. I think that there's going to be a changing of the guard and goal. And they, they should be solid there. But much better situation for Lafreniere in new york than mcdavid had here so this is why i think this guy could put up 90 points next year good supporting cast he's talented he doesn't have to do all the heavy lifting if he stays healthy i think he can do it 60 points is i think he'll he could do 60 points easily next year again i think there's a much better situation around him than some of these other players did. And if Matthew Barzell can get 85 points, I think Lafreniere, even though he's a year younger, is five points better than that. So have your say at Duck Millard. Vote. Do you think Alexi Lafreniere can hit 90 points next year? You can find more information at www.uffsports.com. It is the ultimate franchise fantasy sports platform, and it is the most realistic platform that is out there. Uh, Also, uh, they sponsor uh, Craig Button on the uh, track in the draft with Craig Button. He appears courtesy of the UFFS hotline. All right, time now to do perfect player. That's where we take three players to make the perfect player. And we're doing Western Hockey League today. Holy schnikes. I know that's a wide range, but I grew up in the league. I'm feeling nostalgic today as I look at a Brandon Weeking mask and a couple of Weeking jerseys on my wall. Um, I, and Red Deer Rebel Jersey as well. Uh, I love the Western Hockey League. I grew up in Brandon. I worked in Brandon, so I got to watch it as a fan. I got to cover it in Brandon, in Red Deer, in, uh, Regina and in Edmonton. I've been lucky enough. Every stop on my broadcasting tour has had uh a whl team and really good ones uh, i was lucky enough to cover uh whl final in uh brandon uh, i was uh, able to go to the memorial cup in red deer and watch the rebels win it go to the memorial cup with edmonton uh, and didn't have as much luck but they did win it later on and i was able to watch uh, the playoff run so i love the western hockey league so i want to know who your perfect players are and I, and I should uh, preface skaters um I, I it's hard to do a combination of players with goalies so this is perfect player skaters so for me uh Marty Murray Marty Murray was a legend when I grew up in Manitoba Unfortunately the Spokane Chiefs listed him and it took trading Trevor Kidd uh who was an all-star uh goaltender at the time to get him turn the franchise around, best move Kelly McCrimmon ever made with the Brandon Wheat Kings. Marty Murray uh, was Player of the Year, was MVP and the World Juniors. Um, I would take his IQ, his hands, and his leadership. Uh, he wasn't the biggest guy. He wasn't the greatest skater. Probably would have been able to play in today's game, but when he was playing, they wanted big, big, big and Marty Murray wasn't big enough and, and wasn't probably a good enough skater, uh, at that point to, to, to overcome, but he would thrive in today's game. So I would go with Marty Murray, number one, Marion Hosa at number two, uh, I was able to watch the, I think it was the 96 or, or 98, uh, sorry, uh, WHL playoff final, I believe it was 98, uh, Portland and Brandon and. The, the Winterhawks were just so good. And Bar- Marion Hossa was the best junior hockey player I've ever seen live, uh, in person that I remember. I, 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 remember, uh, the next guy on the list a little bit, but I really got to watch close up with, uh, Marion Hossa in that series. He was just the most complete player. He dominated offensively. He checked. He was just, he did everything and, it, and he was just easily head and shoulders better than everybody in that series. And number three on the list is Ray Ferraro. 108 goals. Do I need to say any more 108 goal season? Plus he was a Brandon wink King. Um, uh, as I mentioned, I was a little bit younger when he played, so I didn't get to really see the, uh, the fine details in, in, Ray's game. Uh, but I have, you know, talked to him several times, uh, getting into the media business and, uh, man, 108 goals. I, w- I really want to get Ray on this podcast at some point and discuss what like, you know, what that season was like and, you know, what he thinks, what he thought about it during the series season rather, and, and kind of what he thinks about it now, because that's just incredible in a record that will never like Wayne Gretzky's 92 goals. That'll never, uh, be broken. So that's my perfect player. Hit me up on Twitter at duck Millard and tell me what your perfect player would be out of WHL, any player in the WHL past and present take three of them to combine the perfect player. All right, that's going to wrap things up for us on the program today and uh, enjoy the Stanley Cup playoffs. Hope you enjoyed the uh, interview with Derek Van Deest. Certainly thank him for his time today. Follow him on Twitter at Derek Van Deest and make sure you're following along with him in his uh, NHL playoff coverage. Yes, the NHL playoffs are underway. But the edmonton oilers are not in it <laughs> unfortunately that's going to wrap things up for us thanks to dvd for joining me on the program uh, enjoy the playoffs and i hope you enjoyed this program if you did please subscribe and uh, leave leave us a review if you are so kind make sure you check out podcast alley for past episodes and check out our blog there uh, let us know what you think of that site as well. And if you're interested in being a part of the show as an advertiser, you can email me sports and more pod at gmail.com, or maybe you have a, uh, a guest suggestion, somebody you would like to hear on this show, hit me up, uh, through email sports and more pod at gmail.com. A big thanks to Derek van Deest for joining us on the show today. Uh, we will leave you with the song Cameron from Sweet Bejesus the official band of sports and more see you next week playtime is over
0: Cameron used to sing a lot but he stopped when his dad yelled shut up but he cut the gas When his girlfriend yelled Slow down Cameron used to read But he closed the sleeve When his friend yelled Hey geek Cameron's changed Cameron's ashamed The afraid Okay.